You're listening to Core Stories. I'm Emily, Communications Director here at Otter Creek Church. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Jeff Benny sat down with me to share how he and his wife, Jane, make mission a central part of their family's life together. Uh, I'm Jeff Benny. Uh, I'm a second-time member here at Otter Creek. We were here from 91 to 97 and then came back uh, in 2013. I was born and raised in Ohio. Uh, my older brother and I uh, came down to Lipscomb together. He, he's a CPA in town. I was pre-med. Uh, so I was here for four years, graduated. Uh, desperately wanted to stay in town because I was dating a Lipscomb girl like everyone's supposed to. Uh, I, I was a Lipscomb failure, though. I was not married by the time I graduated. Uh, However, uh, never got admitted to Vandy, uh, and so I ended up at uh, Washington University, St. Louis. Uh, so I moved there, uh, and then spent uh, four years there in medical school, and then an additional four years in residency there at Barnes Children's Jewish. Uh, while I was there, uh, I met a girl at church, who one of the uh, yentas in the congregation. Uh, St. Louis is very Jewish, so even the Church of Christ is Jewish. Uh, the Yenta got her information. This is in the pre-cell phone era, so I, I got her home phone, phone number. He gave it to me. She gave it to me. I turned around and gave it to one of my friends because I was already kind of dating a girl uh, who was from Lipscomb and you know from Nashville, and so that obviously was clearly what I was supposed to be dating. Uh, my friend got transferred out of town the next week, so he gave me the number back. And so we started doing stuff with the youth, with the young adult group at our church. Uh, and then we ended up getting married about a year and a half later. There's a debate among in our family over who called who first. The movie Rope uh, was playing at a theater near where my apartment was. Uh, she lived in Wester Groves, which is where she grew up. I lived in the city. Uh, and so there was an old revival movie house near us that was playing uh, Rope. And she loves uh, all the old Alfred Hitchcock. So she called me and said, hey, do you want to go see the movie? And I said, sure. Let's, yeah, it was literally right down the street. So that was like on a Thursday. And then I think we went out on a, a date date that Saturday. So it depends on who you who you ask on who we, who we went out first with. We got married. Uh, yeah, you know, I was in medical school, so probably would have been married earlier than we got married, but the fact that I had no time off. Uh, and I was, we really started dating my second year. Third year is a, you know, 48 week straight academic year. So my, our choices were to get married at Christmas or at the end of the year, which is May. Uh, we ended up getting married in May where, where I had like two weeks off between the end of third year and beginning of fourth year. And so we did what everybody does. We went to Disney World for our honeymoon. Uh, and we were laughing. It was the first time, uh, maybe even the first time she flew anywhere. You know, this was in the old days when not, no one flew. Flying was expensive. We, we flew TWA to uh, Orlando uh, and stayed uh, at the cheap hotel. We couldn't stay on Disney. We didn't have any money. So we stayed outside the front gate and drove in every day in our rental car. Let's see. This is 32 years coming up. When I was looking for jobs in the interim, when I left town to go to medical school, my older brother was here. He got married. He had grandchildren. So my parents ended up coming to Nashville. Then my younger brother and sister came to Nashville. 
And so I looked for jobs in St. Louis, where Jane is from, and Nashville, where essentially we had moved to. Uh, and so I had a really nice job here, so we moved here in 1991. I, my original training is, is in anesthesia. I was a pediatric anesthesiologist. I was brought to town uh, because in that day, uh, what was now is now St. Thomas Midtown was Baptist, was where the children's hospital was. There was no children's hospital in Vanderbilt. So we were doing all these advanced uh, pediatric anesthesia and surgery cases. So I was brought into town to do that. Uh, and then uh, Vandy decided to build a separate children's hospital uh, in the mid-90s. Uh, and obviously, uh, Baptist and Centennial at that point uh, were doing a lot of labor and delivery. So my group asked me to take over uh, OB anesthesia. And so I became the chair of OB anesthesia for our group. And that's what I've done more or less since then. 1996, uh, Bobby Harrington was the pulpit minister at Otter Creek. Uh, and Otter Creek was growing and attracting a lot of people, uh, most of whom were from Southern Brentwood, Franklin. And so through a series of decisions uh, or discussions and then decisions, uh, a church was planted in what was uh, halfway in between Brentwood and Franklin uh, off Barry's Chapel, uh, which is now Harpeth Christian Church. We're there from 1997 through about 2008. Harvard Community Church ended up with a piece of property in South Franklin where they built. And so when we looked around, our, we were the only Brentwood family left. Our kids were all in Brentwood High School, uh, Brentwood Middle School. And so at that point, uh, we came back this direction uh, and actually we're at Fellowship Bible Church for a little bit and then ended up at Otter Creek once Otter Creek moved from its old building to Brentwood. Otter Creek's always, it's a, it's an interesting place. Uh, I mean, having just spent 20 years in intentional seeker-friendly churches uh, or visitor-friendly, uh, Otter Creek can be a little tough to get reintegrated in because there are people who've literally been here their entire lives. Uh, you know, we, at Harpeth and at Fellowship, since the churches were no more than 20 years old. Most of them were like 10 years old when we were there. Everyone had been at the church less than 10 years, and everyone was pretty much a new move in. And so it was very easy to integrate in. Uh, Otter Creek is some somewhat difficult. There's a lot of new people, but there's a lot of people who have been here a really long time. And so it's, a, it's an odd mixture and sometimes makes uh, integrating in a little challenging. We've always been in churches with small groups. And so we were we went through the, the membership process and in part of that membership process we're given choices of groups we could join. We joined a uh, life group very early on, which introduced us to a, a lot of people that we didn't know from our first time here. And so it allowed us to uh, meet them and then all their network of friends. And so, it becomes easier once you've got, you know, another 20 or 30 people that you know. And then uh, about six months in, uh, we started leading a, a life group. And so we've had more people come into our lives. Uh, so life groups are really the, the main entree that we had to Otter Creek. Mission work was an interesting thing. When I was a resident in St. Louis, uh, I was looking... I feel very strongly that when God blesses you, 
part of the Christian walk is you have to give back. I was looking for ways to give back. Being an anesthesiologist, I did not necessarily want to do just primary medical trips. There are a lot of basic medical trips that occur around the world. Uh, and I was looking to use my specific skill set somewhere. And I was uh, actually talking with Mercy Ships, uh, who at that time had their main ship in the Caribbean. So it was very easy to fly down to a week, fly back. Uh, right at the end of my residency, when I was getting ready to go on a trip with them, they relocated their trip, their ship to uh, Western Africa, which changes it from a one-week trip to a three-week trip. And I don't have that type of time off uh, at that time. Uh, in early 92, after coming back to town, I got a phone call uh, from uh, Willis Owens, who was one of my professors at Lipscomb. And it went something like, hey, Jeff, I hear you're back in town. I said, yeah, I am. He says, hey, have you ever thought about going to Guatemala? For those of you who exist in the pre-internet era, you realize that I had to run to the library, find an, an atlas, and find where Guatemala was. I had no earthly idea. Uh, and I realized, oh, it's right under Mexico. Okay, I can do that. That's not like, a, you know, that's a quick trip down. I could do it, quick trip back. Uh, and so I went on a uh, medical trip with them. Uh, out to uh, the Suchitopecas area of Guatemala, which is about four hours out of Guatemala City towards Mexico. Uh, and then while on that trip, I realized I was the first anesthesiologist who'd ever gone on a trip with them because all their uh, American doctors who were living in there asked me, hey, how hard would it be to do some surgery down here? Uh, which I laugh now looking back at it. Uh, it turns out to be a lot harder than you think. Uh, and so over the next year, uh, Steve Sherman was the full-time missionary in Guatemala City and in that part of Guatemala uh, in cooperation with Steve and with Health Towns International, which was in Birmingham at that time. Uh, we found an American agricultural training center, which had been closed. Uh, that was basically a 1950s uh, church camp dorm and two barns. Uh, and we converted the barn into a 20-person recovery room and two operating rooms. Uh, and so in 1994, we started doing surgery trips uh, to that part of Guatemala. It was during this point in time that I learned that you never, ever, ever trust a preacher with buying equipment. Steve Sherman uh, called me or, or wrote a letter, then called me and said, I have found an entire hospital in a box. There was, you know, there's no cell phone. He couldn't shoot pictures and shoot me. And I said, oh, and he goes, the, the U.S. Air Force is willing to fly it down for us. Uh, it's a civil defense hospital. We said, great. Uh, he didn't realize it was a civil defense hospital from 1964. So... Uh, the Air Force literally flew it all down on a big cargo plane, uh, got trucks, took it out to the uh, hospital. And the first time I saw it was when we got off the pickup truck four hours out of Guatemala City. Uh, and we realized, uh, yeah, there were some good things about it. I mean, the, op the operating room table worked great. Uh, some of the other equipment, all the anesthesia equipment was from 1964, uh, which was not compatible with anything that we had with us. Uh, but we cobbled together some stuff uh, and actually did surgery the first trip. Uh, and then that led me to talk to hospitals in town and someone donated an anesthesia machine. From there, 
I've gone down to Guatemala probably over 40 times since then. Uh, been on the board of directors of Health Towns International since the mid-90s. Uh, we have uh, helped by the Ezel Foundation here in town, built a surgical facility in Suchitepeques, uh, where now there's a little over 14 surgery trips a year. They do about 900 surgeries a year. Uh, and so it got to the point where Health Towns is a pretty large uh, healthcare uh, non-governmental organization, NGO, uh, and they see about 50,000 patients a year in Central America. Uh, and they employ, right now we've got 63 Guatemalans who work for uh, the health talents entity in Guatemala. Uh, and like I said, we, we do have dentists, we have five full-time physicians, we've got nurse practitioners, we do surgery. And then in 2009, uh, a friend of mine, Wes Gunn, who is the, at the time was the missions minister at Landmark Church in Montgomery, calls me, and we'd been on trips to Guatemala together. And he said, uh, we run an orphanage in Malawi. Uh, and there's a hospital next to the orphanage that just closed down. And the, the church elder and village chief, uh, Napoleon uh, Zumbe asked me, could we get the hospital open? And so I'm asking you, do you know how to do that? And so in uh, 2009, uh, three of us took a trip to Malawi, which uh, this was easier. I just got my phone out and looked where Malawi was. I suppose I didn't have to go to the library and look in the atlas this time. Uh, and it turns out to be really close to South Africa next to Mozambique. Uh, so it flew to Johannesburg, flew up to the uh, Long Way, which is the capital, uh, spent 10 days in country looking at the facility, visiting all the other governmental and non-governmental healthcare facilities in about a two-hour radius just to see was there a need, uh, was it possible to reopen it, what type of facilities were there, what type of uh, governmental support would we get. Uh, we met with the Minister of Health, uh, and so... When it was all said and done, we ended up uh, creating a pathway for the Malawians to reopen their hospital, uh, first as an outpatient facility, then an inpatient facility, and then an inpatient facility with labor and delivery. Uh, and then starting in 2012, we have been taking surgery trips from the U.S. to there uh, to help with their surgery uh, needs. In most third worlds, uh, once you set up basic medical care, there's very rarely uh, elective surgery possibilities. If you have an emergency, you might get it taken care of. Uh, but if you have an elective issue, it's never going to get taken care of. Uh, and elective, by elective, I, d I don't mean like I've got a little bump on my arm. Uh, we fix lots of hernias, we fix hydroseals, we, we do a fair amount of GYN surgery, uh, which relates to either uh, infertility or uh, uterine prolapse, uh, which is where your uterus is on the outside of your body. Uh, for the non-medical people, that's bad. Uh, but it's not considered an emergency, so no one ever gets it fixed. Uh, so uh, in... For instance, in Malawi, it has a population of a little over 16 million people. Uh, there are 340 physicians in the country. 
Uh, and of the 340, over half work for the Ministry of Health and actually don't see patients. They're administrators. So you have about 180 to 200 doctors actually see patients in Malawi. Uh, there are maybe 10 OBGYNs, and there are maybe six or seven general surgeons. And so when we go in, we'll go in twice a year. We'll do uh, 30 to 50 uh, pretty straightforward surgeries for us, uh, but are unobtainable in uh, Malawi. A great example is this last November we were there, and we had an individual that had biopsy-proven uh, malignancy of his thyroid. And he had been scheduled three times over the previous three years for surgery in Malawi. And every time he came to the hospital, he would stay in the hospital about a week, and they would cancel surgery, and he'd they'd have to go home. You know, for various reasons. They didn't have suture. They didn't have sterile gloves. They didn't have sterile gowns. Uh, the equipment was broken. Uh, the surgeon who was supposed to do it left the country to go to another country. And so he comes, he heard we were in town uh, and came and saw us, and we did his thyroidectomy and functionally cured him of a cancer, which would eventually kill him had, had he not had surgery. Yeah, yeah, so it's stuff like that that keeps me continuously going back and try, striving to improve, try, trying to grow. Uh, the programs either in Central America or Africa. As I have matured, or re-aged, if you will, I have learned that I need to walk through the doors that God opens instead of trying to kick open doors. Uh, Peru is a great example. I've been to Peru multiple times. Uh, Fellowship Bible Church has a very large uh, ministry and work in Peru. And they asked me and a couple of the physicians to try to get a medical a ministry going in Peru, which should be a slam dunk. It's a middle-income country. There are resources available. Uh, the church that we're partnered with down there has about 4,000 members, uh, including about eight or 10 physicians. Uh, we have never been able to get a medical ministry up and running and continuously running in Peru. Uh, we've gone down multiple times. We've done outreaches. We've done medical trips. And for whatever reason, the doors just remain shut. Uh, and that, in in my 30s, that would have been really frustrating. Uh, in my 40s, it would have been mildly frustrating. Now it's kind of like there are so many opportunities and so many open doors. If the doors are shut, I just need to find another open door to walk through. Because, for instance, at the same time we're trying to do this in Peru is when Malawi occurred. And so in Peru... We're beating our heads against the door on stuff. Malawi, I fly in. The Minister of Health meets us the next day and says, yes, we want the hospital open. One of my favorite Steve Martin movies is The Man with Two Brains. Uh, and there's a scene, uh, for those who don't know the movie, he has his wife who passes away who's very, very smart and he loves her. He manages to save her brain. He finds the supermodel as the body, and he's going to transplant her, his brain in the supermodel's body. And so he had the best of both worlds. And so there's a scene where he's looking at the picture of his wife above the fireplace. Uh, and he says, I think her name was Elizabeth. He says, Elizabeth, if I shouldn't do this, give me a sign. The picture starts spinning. Uh, fire is shooting out of the fireplace. The room is shaking. Uh, 
everything falls off the mantelpiece and it all stops. And he looks at her and says, just give me a sign, any sign. Uh, and, you know, I, I feel we're, we're like that a lot is that sometimes God gives you signs and you go, you just say, no, just any sign, you know, he gives you a big stop sign and you just blow through it. Uh, and so sometimes I feel that, you know, way about Peru is that we just kind of beat our heads against the wall. Uh, and then this opportunity occurred in Malawi. And so, you know, Malawi is growing like crazy. You know, this past month, I think our hospital and our uh, village-based clinic saw 2,000 patients, which is a whopping number for a place that has zero physicians. We have one nurse practitioner and three clinical officers. And so they're, they're seeing unbelievable numbers of people. And that, yeah, so the need is huge. And so we're just continuing to funnel resources that direction. When we talk to everyone, they always ask, ask questions about what type of miracles occur. And I look at, I tell them, I said, sometimes it's not miracle like you see in the Bible where the guy walks in, touches him on the forehead, boom, and he's back to life. Uh, a lot of times the miracles are uh, timing. Uh, for instance, uh, literally every time we go to Malawi, there is an instance that it's just uh, the concept that there are no coincidences with God. Uh, people come in that if we hadn't have been there at the time would have died. Uh, a great example was uh, uh, a year and a half, almost two years ago in June, uh, we were had finished up our surgery week and we were packing all the equipment up. Uh, and they do labor and delivery all the time while we're there. Uh, and for people who have delivered in America, it's a totally different experience because uh, they will, the midwives will tell the patients, Chichewa, uh, which is the main tribe, women, if you want a strong baby, you will not make a sound while you labor. So they do not lay, so even though labor and delivery is right next to the surgery recovery wards, half the time we have no idea anyone's in there because nobody makes a sound. Uh, and so we didn't know anyone was in labor. And so we're packing the stuff up and we had Lipscomb nursing students with us and that they like to see deliveries because that's not something you get to see a lot in America. You have to time it right. And they go, oh, we have a lady in labor. So two of them went in there to see her deliver. And she'd been there about a day and a half in labor. And uh, one of the nurses on the trip uh, is Frida Gardner, who, uh, sorry, Frida Fuller now, uh, who was the nurse manager of labor and delivery at Centennial for a while. So I knew her really well. And so she was with her student nurses and they were watching the labor. And uh, she was somewhat concerned because it did not look like this lady was progressing right. Uh, this was, I think, her third baby. And so she came and got me and an OB-GYN who was on the trip uh, to come and look. And so as we're kind of walking in the labor and delivery suite, uh, the OB-GYN kind of steps in and is helping her deliver. And she delivers and the, and the baby is uh, limp. Uh, for the technical people out there, his Apgars were one out of 10. It's a one to 10 scale, his Apgars were one. Uh, and it turns out in Malawi, they don't teach anyone how to resuscitate babies. Uh, however, I have been, like I said, the head of labor and delivery for, at this point, 20 years. Uh, and I do this every day. So I'm there. And so 
Uh, I step in, and with the help of Frida Fuller, we resuscitate this baby, uh, and he perks right up, and he does well. Uh, and we put him in a, uh, a, actually, we have a French fry warmer that we've converted to a baby warmer. Uh, since there's no baby warmers there, the French fry warmer works pretty well. Uh, and so we have him there, and uh, in Malawi, the dads aren't in the labor room. He's out in the hallway. And uh, he had, and so the dad had forgot, he had rushed there from his office, this was during the day, uh, and had forgotten his phone. And so I shot a picture of the baby for him and uh, told him I would email him that picture. And uh, he asked me what my name was. And uh, English names and Chichewa names are very, very different. Uh, and so I told him it was it was Jeffrey. Uh, he said, okay, fine. Uh, and then uh, I got a email from him uh, that he had named uh, his baby. He sent me an email that he had named his baby Wetawiza. Uh, 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 Jeffrey Magnantho. Uh And so I thought he, I thought that was very nice, uh, very appreciative. So I figured they would call him uh, Wetawiza, uh, which means it's Chewa God raised up. Uh, and then, so I said, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You know, let me, next time we're in town, bring him by. And so the next year we were at the surgery clinic and I had emailed him uh, that we were coming and so he brought uh, his son, his, brought his wife and his son by to see us. And so we asked him what he was calling him. And he said, well, I call him Jeffrey. Uh, and so I, I was very humbled by the fact that he, he, he named him after me. Uh, and then I was, we were also laughing because he will be the only Jeffrey in his school. Because the rest of them are, are, are going to be like Watazura and Chafundo and Chihuahua, uh, real names in, in Africa. So we laughed. He said, so he's going to get made fun of because he's got a Western sounding name. Uh, but, you know, it was very humbling that, you know, we were able to be there to basically resuscitate this baby. I mean, it, Part, people ask me that all the time. Well, you know, what good does it do to save one life? I said, I don't know what God's going to do with that life. You know, this may be, this child may be just another, uh, his dad's an accountant. He may be just another accountant. But you, don't, you never know. He may be the president of Malawi sometime. He may be a preacher at a major church there. And he becomes the Malawian version of Billy Graham. You, you don't know. I mean, and it's not it's not my place to know. My place is just to, to do the things that God opens the door for me to do. Er, early on in our uh, marriage, uh, my Jane, my wife, who for those of you, for the first time we were at Otter Creek, went by her first name, Barbara. Uh, there's a whole story about me, my, my, my second wife. Uh, but uh, she would, she's a business major undergrad and we had four small children. And so she, for the first, uh, 10 years of my trips, uh, I went by myself, uh, starting in the mid two thousands, I would take, Jane would go with us some, uh, and I take some version of my kids, uh, 
usually one at a time. Uh, and so all of them have now been uh, to both Africa and Guatemala. Uh, Jane uh, is one of those, also those God stories of opening the, walking through the doors, God opens. Uh, in 2010, there was, uh, of course, the Haitian earthquake. Uh, we were at a uh, fellowship at the time, and I got a phone call. I said, would you like to go to Haiti? They really need doctors. They're an anesthesiologist. Uh, that's a whole different story. I didn't really want to go to Haiti, but once again, I ended up in Haiti. Uh, Jane, who, for those of you who know Jane, is probably the most organized person on earth. Uh, she's incredibly structured and can structure things so that they work well. In an earthquake, a natural disaster, that is the person that you want. And so I said, I want to bring my wife. They said, she can't come. Uh, We're only taking doctors and nurses. And I could not explain to them that logistics is everything in uh, disaster relief. I said, you really, really, really want her there? Nope, she can't come. Uh, And so Jane got mad about that. And then one of her friends was going was going to start the uh, ASN nursing program at Columbia State. Uh, and so Jane decided to go back to nursing school and researched her options and ended up uh, going back to Belmont for their second BS degree uh, and then graduated in 2013 with her BSN. Uh, and so she has now gone on all the trips with me since uh, 20, I think her first trip she went with me as a nursing student was in 2012. Uh, in fact, she is highly motivated. Uh, she delayed her graduation one semester because she wanted to go on the first surgery trip with me. They wouldn't let her out of class. Uh, and so she just put, she said, well, I'll take this semester off then and pushed her graduation back a semester and went with me to uh, Malawi. Uh, but she she is the is highly organized and now is essentially the nurse manager of the surgery trips in Malawi, as well as recruiting people and training people and doing logistics and uh, doing scheduling and all those sort of things. Jane feels very strongly about uh, healthcare and healthcare information. And as part of her, after she graduated, uh, she was introduced to the concept of faith community nursing. Uh, faith community nursing is church-based uh, nursing. It's what a lot of people don't realize is nurses originally were members of the church. If you go to Africa, all the nurses are called sister. That is their title because they were all nuns once upon a time. Uh, and so even today in Africa, if you want a nurse, you come up to the hospital, you say sister, and she will respond to that. Uh, because that is how they view themselves as extensions of the church. And so nursing was, in fact, uh, what the church did, taking care of the elderly, taking care of the very young, taking care uh, of the indigent, taking care of the unfortunate. Uh, And so there were a lot of churches did a lot of uh, nursing education and basic nursing skills for the people of the church. 
Recently, there's been a resurgent uh, surgeons in faith community nursing, which are nurses who are church-based. Uh, originally, it was called parish nursing because the Catholics uh, are much better at this than the Church of Christ or Southern Baptist. Uh, and so, a lot of church, a lot of Catholic uh, parishes will have a parish nurse whose job it is to, is to visit people who are assigned to that parish who come to the attention of the church that need help. It's not that they're, they're not nursing in a hospital sense where they're taking care of them. A lot of the nursing care has to do with uh, education uh, and organization, which again is Jane's strong suit. Uh, so she started uh, faith community nursing uh, about six months ago here at Otter Creek as a ministry. And a lot of what she's doing is visiting with people, helping them get their healthcare organized, get understanding why things are done the way they're done, as well as meeting with a lot of uh, middle-aged Otter Creekers who are dealing with their parents aging and talking about options and how to deal with your parents as they age, you know, home health versus institutional care versus uh, something like senior helpers. Uh, you know, what's the right option for people? Uh, back in the fall, uh, Steve Sherman asked Jane and I to, to be on the missions committee. Uh, and now starting January, I'm now the chair of the missions committee. And so part of what we're doing in conjunction with Steve and the rest of the members of the committee is to try to raise the awareness of what really is going on out there at Otter Creek. There are, for a church of 1700, I know there are multiple people going on mission trips. There are multiple people doing things both locally in the states and outside the states. And so what we're really trying to do is give them a platform to raise awareness for what they're doing uh, through uh, the new ottercreekmission.org website, uh, as well as in the bulletin, as well as the weekly email, the Otter Happenings, uh, to try to get, to get people to understand what's out there, who's going, and to realize they're, they're probably not by themselves. Because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there thinking, man, I, I really feel called to this, uh, but I'm by myself. You know, at a church the size of Otter Creek, there are a lot of people probably called to what you want to call to. And we're going to try to give you an avenue to advertise that and to raise awareness for that so people can say, hey, that sounds like a really good idea. I want to do that too. And, you know, and that's our that's our mission as a church is, uh, you know, as our mission says, to become the disciples of Jesus by, you know, reaching and reaching up and reaching out and as missions is the reaching out part and so we want to give people the opportunity uh, when they have an idea or they have a desire to be able to part of that reaching out process you know as I wrap up my, my thoughts are a lot of people have, have approached me over the years saying I would really like to go on a trip but I want to do it you know five years from now, I do it when my kids are a lot older. I want to do it 10 years from now. And, you know, what I've learned is people do what's important to them and kids model what they see their parents doing. And so if you want your children to be 
people that reach outside their lives, that reach outside their comfort zone, that help the less fortunate. If you do that, they're more likely to do that. And then if you do that, when they get to be in your teens, you can take them with you and do that. And there are, are lots and lots and lots of opportunities uh, to do that with uh, children who are younger, uh, children who are teens, children in their 20s and 30s. Uh, and so just I want everyone to be aware of those opportunities and aware of, you know, you shouldn't put off. Yes, I know it's really expensive to go to Africa. You don't have to go to Africa. Uh, you can, uh, my children will tell you, we did Meals on Wheels when our kids were small. And our kids will still tell you they can remember exactly delivering Meals on Wheels at the Iron Gun at Homes downtown. Uh, you know, on, on which floors we got off on, you know, Blake will probably tell you exactly which floors we got off on, uh, you know. And the, the, the different people we sent meals to. Uh, and we did that for a long time when they were small. Yeah, they didn't leave the country until they were teenagers, but they were, you know, we had them out serving even when they were, I think, you know, as soon as they could walk, they were going with us when we were doing Meals on Wheels. Uh, they were going with us uh, when we did Room at the Inn. You know, we, the first time around, Otter Creek was doing Room at the Inn, we would help cook and the kids would come and eat with uh, the homeless men. And, you know, part of that is just learning that modeling and that for your children and letting them learn that, you know, that's what Christian walk is about. Core Stories is a ministry of the Otter Creek Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. To find more stories, go to ottercreek.org stories or follow us on Instagram at Otter Creek Church.